This is the All About 80s Music Podcast with John Mysick and Steve Ojello. Hey, this is Steve Ojello, and I'm here with John Mysick. Hey, Steve. Hi, John. Today, John and I are diving deep into one of the landmark albums of the early 80s, Haircut 100's Pelican West. We're going song by song to examine the qualities that made this collection of tracks so iconic. This is going to be a lot of fun, so let's not waste any time and get right into it. So, John... What I love about this album is that it has a very consistent sound. All the songs to me are very much brothers and sisters under the parent name of Pelican West. In the last podcast, we talked about George Michael's Faith album, a record that's musically all over the place, although all the songs work together so well. But the songs on Pelican West, while having their own identity, do have a consistent sound that ties into the overall vibe of the album making for a very consistent listening experience. Nick Hayward and the lads were young men when they recorded this album, but musically, I feel they were wise beyond their years and created an album that we're still talking about 40 years later. It's a masterpiece that sits among the ranks of Rio, Disintegration, Faith, Violator, Lexicon of Love, Songs from the Big Chair, and so many other iconic albums out there. You know, Steve, I've always had a soft spot um, for this record. In a lot of ways, Pelican West um, was responsible for my introduction to pop music. I vividly remember, it must have been fall of 1983, combing through the record racks at a department store near my house in Connecticut and coming across this kind of exotic-looking record with five or six young men in tennis whites laying sort of loose on the ground, staring back at me. Um, and I didn't really connect that Haircut 100 were the guys who sang Love Plus One, of course, until the video, uh, who can forget that video, came on MTV. And they've just they've just stuck with me ever since. It's impossible to believe that we're celebrating, and we and they are celebrating the 40th anniversary uh, of the record this year. They're re- they have regrouped, older, wiser, and they're touring and they've mended fences, which is a story that I love. I always love it when guys were friends as young men and then sort of drift apart and then find each other in their late middle age because they realize that there's more that ties them together than drives them apart. That's such a sort of a, such a quintessential um, sort of 80s generation story. It's such a quintessential kind of Gen X story as well. A bit of background, lead singer and songwriter Nick Haywood and bassist Les Nemes had been in several bands together since 1997, digging under a number of names but didn't really release any records. Uh, That was until 1980 when they moved to London um, and recruited an old friend named Graham Jones on guitar. Uh, During a meeting brainstorming band names, Hayward suggested Haircut 100, and because it was the one that made us laugh the most, he said, they kept it. Uh, They were originally joined by drummer Patrick Hunt. They they joined, they had Phil Smith in on saxophone uh, for recording sessions, and then that was followed by percussionist Mark Fox. And then in 19 they signed and they played some live dates and were signed in 1981 by Arista, releasing Haircut 100, the debut, in 1982. Uh, we can dive into the discussion track by track, um, but it was a huge record for the band, a success they never duplicated. Hayward would leave after Pelican West. Mark Fox would be thrust front and center as lead singer for a band called for an album called Paint Paint Paint, um, but they could not recapture that lightning in the bottle. Um, and as the case with so many '80s bands, they kind of just sputtered out and faded away. I feel that the start of each new decade provides music artists with a clean slate 
and a great opportunity to envision and create the sound of the decade. Giorgio Moroda did it in the late 70s with Donna Summer on I Feel Love with all the synthesizers, and that led to the new wave movement of the 80s and then techno and later EDM. And to me, it seems that Nick and the Boys took the soft rock sound of the 70s, which we now refer to a lot of that as yacht rock, and evolved that into the new pop sound of the early 80s, which they pioneered with this album. And you can hear tones of this album in songs from ABC, mid-80s Spandau, Johnny Hates Jazz, Blow Monkeys, and a few other bands. So I don't know if, if you kind of caught that. You know, it's, it's funny you should mention it's funny you should mention Spandau because I mean there's a lot going on in this record. There's there's sort of that soft rock veneer, but if you dig a little bit deeper, there's there's some pop funk in there. There's some bossa nova flavors. Um, there's a little bit of reggae. I mean, they were clearly ta- you know you listen to uh, the guitars and the basses. Les Nemes, I will wax rhapsodic about him for the rest of this podcast. Really, really keeping it together on bass you listen to those guitar parts it's pretty clear to me that like almost every other english band of the early 1980s that they were listening to chic they were listening to now rogers they were listening right. to bernard edwards and they were taking notes staccato rhythm guitar parts across the record les nemesis really really funky and intricate and melodic bass lines straight out of the bernard edwards playbook and we can dive in track by track from there and steve we've talked about that before the 80s were such a weird time this was a band that could probably only have happened in 1981, 1980, when there, when so many bands were just, as as the Orange Juice song goes, ripping it up and starting again. And there are shades of Orange Juice in this band as well. All right, so that brings us to track number one, Favorite Shirts, Boy Meets Girl. First song on the album, their first hit, hitting uh, number four on the English charts in 1981. Steve, for me, this song sets the template for the entire rest of the record. Les Nemesis' bass playing is really the foundation here. He's playing this funky walking line, locking in with Blair Cunningham's drums. Phil Smith's saxophone solo just slays. Uh, you get this melding of soul with a new wave sensibility um i feel like spandau must have been taking notes here yeah. with mark fox's percussion because you were the diamond their second lp diamond there's moments in here that really echo from pelican west i'm not quite sure on release dates on who came first but you can hear sort of the sonic commonalities between the two bands particularly on on this track from top to bottom a really strong single it is, and, and I would say that this is my favorite Haircut 100 song. For me, it's a song that I play a lot. It's it's kicked off many an Argello family dance party here at home. <laughs> Such a fantastic dance vibe to this track, and it really represents the carefree spirit of the 80s so well. I love Nick and Graham's fast guitar strumming, the zany horn parts, and that phenomenal bass line underneath it all, and Nick's rap in the middle section. It, it, the song just makes you want to get on the dance floor and get down. I love it. Absolutely, 100% agree. Again, you want to start a record with a really strong single, and uh, there's no doubt they come out uh, guns blazing uh, with, with this one. So Love Plus One. One of the most iconic songs of the early 80s, uh, without a doubt, possessing all the elements of a straight-up hit song. You know, that intro starts off with the muted guitar pattern, uh, then enters the marimba, which we talked about was used in a lot of 80s songs. The marimba in the 80s was only second to the saxophone, and then the saxophone line comes in so recognizable, we hear that 
iconic, fantastically zany 80s line. Ay, 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 ay. Then I call one of the most famous lines of all 80 songs. Just a perfect song in every way, one that I consider among the absolute very best of the decade, which, which is an extremely strong statement. Yeah, you know, I can't, it was funny. I, I remember listening to this song when I was younger and not thinking much of it. Um, it seemed like a perfectly acceptable pop trifle. And it wasn't really until I came back and, and watched the band on the Bands Reunited special on VH1 when I realized just how much is going on inside this song. You've got Mark Fox's percussion. You've got Graham and Nick's guitar parts. Again, that sort of Nile Rodgers thing. That descending bass line from Les Nemes that opens the song. And the, it's not only sax, Steve. It's a multi-tracked sax session uh, there from Phil Smith playing that unmistakable melody line on a soprano with altos and tenors going on underneath. It's really sonically complex and a lot of people dismissed these bands as, as church bands, as haircut bands. But one of the things was, is you really had to know how to play. Um, I will admit that it took me forever to figure out what the hell Nick Hayward was singing yeah. in the chorus. Ring and a ring and a ring and a yeah, yeah, love plus one. I went and looked it up this afternoon before we were getting ready to, to jump on and tape. And this one came straight from a personal experience for Haywood. Uh, Hayward, pardon me. He'd been in a relationship with a woman who was always busy with work and didn't have a lot of time with him, time for him rather. And he wanted to be front and center. He wanted to be love plus one, quite literally. And that was the uh, the genesis of the song. And it's, you know, it comes up all the time on Sirius XM. It comes up all the time on 80s retro radio. Just a great tune from, from end to end. All right. Lemon Fire Brigade. You know, Steve, it, it could only be in 1981 where you could stop at track three on your debut record and drop in a bossa nova instrumental. I just love the counterintuitive nature of doing that. It's like two fingers up to to sort of an industry convention. You've got this killer trumpet break from sessioner uh, Dave Lord in there. And... Again, I, I just love the sheer balls of it. Of just dropping an instrumental right in the middle of side one on your debut album. I just, I, you know, I salute you. It's just fantastic. Yeah, you know, for me, like, I think you can definitely hear the spillover of Yacht Rock in this song. And, and in Marine Boy, the song that follows it on the album as well. But yeah, the, the undeniable dominant factor in this song for me is that horn line that plays after the main vocal refrain. That's only followed by an equally strong alternate horn line accented by the guitar. And then the main horn line repeats and goes into a trombone solo and then a trumpet solo and then a sax solo. And then the two main horn parts repeat in a different order. There's no shortage of fantastic horns in the song. Les does some great baseline with a bit of Latin flair. So, you know, it's, it's funny you talk about Marine Boy. That's the song that comes right after. We were talking a couple of minutes ago about the debt most 80s bands owed to Nile Rodgers and Burnett Edwards and Sheik. And you listen to this one, man, and it is it feels like it's a lift from the Sheik songbook. Yeah. You've got those you got the staccato guitar lines going on. You've got this amazing melodic bass line again from Les Nemes, who is like the secret weapon in this band, along with Phil Smith's sax playing. They really are front and center and just shine throughout this album. It's a nice segue, I think, from uh, from Lemon Fire Brigade. It really keeps the momentum of that first side moving forward. 
Nick's guitar sort of mimics the gentle pattern of ocean waves in that song with his strumming. The electric piano shows up in a very yacht rocky way uh, in the song. So, you know, my my theory of this I don't see this is funny. I don't find this record very yacht rocky. To me, to me, there's there's a yacht rock sort of evolution. Like they they took the yacht rock sound and they evolved it into this sort of sophisticated new pop early 80s sound you know and, and don't forget les and nick toured before haircut 100 under the name of boat party and yep. captain pennyworth so that gives some credibility to my yacht rocky theory right. I, I, I i i cede the decks to you sir on this one <laughs> what i love so much about milk film is that it's it's a bit different than all the songs, but it has a really fantastic structured vocal melody in it. I mentioned I, I majored in music in college, and there were classes where we used to take pop songs apart and study them. And to me, this melody is really one that you can study because it's so well constructed throughout. I'm not sure what the lyrics are about in this song, but definitely a strong tune on top of that track. See, I, th I think this is for me, this is with this and with King Sized is where they they lose a little bit off the trot coming out of side one. You know, Milk Film strikes me as pleasant enough. It's got a hooky and jangly guitar line, but there's not much about it that kind of sticks in my head. It, they're doing what they do well. Uh, I'll say the same thing about uh, King Sized. They get out of side one perfectly respectably but not, I think, with the same momentum with which they started at the beginning of the side. Yeah, I, I mean, I hear you. Milk Film, for me, is, is probably the weakest song out of all, although I do love that, that vocal melody. But King Size, I, I really love that song. I mean, I, I think the horns are just so beautiful, um, such a melodic refrain, and, and a very singable Chuck Mangione-sounding trumpet solo in the middle. You know, the song boasts a great sax solo with a lot of cooking guitar parts happening underneath it. Big shout out to Graham and Nick on that. Yes. Um, this, this song is definitely worth a listen to with headphones. Like I said, this was a group of very impressive young men with a musical vision beyond their years. And I feel you could really hear it in the playing on this song. It's definitely worth a listen with headphones and a lot of nice percussion throughout the song too agreed all right that brings us to uh side two because uh, remember in the old days you had to stand up and go over to the stereo and, and turn the record over that's right first song on the second side fantastic day a true sounding hit song it's got a cool verse but the chorus of two words comes in super strong and really breeds sunshine over the entire track i don't think the song charted into the U.S. Top 20, but it did make a big splash here on radio in the U.S., and especially during MTV's second year. The song continues to be a staple of New Wave, and I think it's among the best pop songs of 1982. Yeah, I went in down, start side two with another strong single, and that's precisely what they did with Fantastic Day, and an undeniable uh, hook, some great guitar work, some lovely sax work going on there, and of course, Les Nemesis bass, <laughs> holding the entire thing together. I will, I'm gonna, someday I will meet Les Nemesis, and I will hopefully not embarrass myself when I get to talk to him. Uh, this song went into the UK, top 10, did not perform as well on this side of the Atlantic, but still a tremendously, tremendously strong symbol. It still rings in a lot of people's heads today. Mm -hmm. So although it didn't do so well on the charts, I, I think a lot of people took to it. 
Absolutely. Uh, baked beans anchored by Mark Fox's percussion and some really strong, uh, some really strong horn work. Yeah. And you know what? The band is extremely tight on this song. Um, they all lock into a very tight heart groove. If you ignore the vocals, which are on their own, fantastic. It's really a super tight rhythmic track. The song opens with this rockabilly sounding riff probably played on one of those big Gretsch guitars. Yep. Um, and then Nick follows with one of his classic ya-ya vocal lines. And that vocal cry and a couple others that he does in the songs are so very 80s and so silly, yet so iconic and awesome. Nick is just fantastic in so many ways. And this song really has all the things that we love about Haircut 100 in it. The signature guitar playing, the melodic horns, the phenomenal bass lines, and just a fun song that's got a strong edge to it. And by the way, I love how they groove out on the outro. Yes. Total change right at the end. Grooving out. So, Steve, in much the same way that King Size was perhaps your favorite, um, Snowgirl, track nine, is oh, yeah. the sleeper favorite on this album for me. I, was, I sat down and listened to it today for the first time in a very long time and paid some particular attention to the arrangements and the dynamics in the song. As a guy who's played in power pop bands on and off for 20-something years, there's a lot of there's a lot of power pop conventions in here, hints of the kind of power pop songwriting that, that Nick Hayward would go on to do in his solo career. You could hear some touches of Badfinger in here, and that may be because I, I've spent the last few days with uh, No Matter What, Repeat in the car, and just blasting it at top volume so to have that's been in my head so i started hearing sort of melodic similarities there i will say anytime that there's a wood block that is hitting time with the snare i am in love from beat one um and that halftime soprano sax break is a really lovely touch and, and nick hayward singing it's just right on point in the song that brings us to track 10 love's got me in triangles i could listen to the first 12 bars of this song all day long just this really powerful and funky drumming from Blair Cunningham uh, with slinky bass work from Les Nemes. Again, as the bass player in the pond, I confess a certain bias. Uh, the rhythm section is where it's at, and they lock in together amazingly well and just power this entire song. It's a real nice hypnotic groove with Nick and Graham getting into like that now Rogers sort of strum. Love the percussion by Mark Fox on this. This one especially. And what's what's the deal with some of the German spoken word phrases in there? Did you, did you catch those? It, I did catch some of those. You know, I, I will say this. I was listening to this again this afternoon um, before we before we convened, and there's some Talking Heads vibes going on in here as well. I'm a huge fan of the Talking Heads record, Remain in Light, with uh, with Brian Eno. Some really funky tracks on that song. That includes Once in a Lifetime is on there. Cross-Eyed and Painless is on there. Uh, it's really where the Talking Heads got funky. And I hear some of that in this groove as well. Um, you have, that again, another amazing sax solo with horn hits underneath. I can really imagine this one getting the crowd going live and probably the band sort of stretching out and, and having fun with this one and taking it longer than the length of the album track when they're playing it out because it's just got that that kind of arrangement where you could just kind of jam on it for a while and really just get the crowd going nuts totally so the last song on the album the last song on the album surprise again Uh, i would love to say that this one surprised me uh but it did not uh they it's haircut 100 doing what haircut 100 does uh but i do love that jangly guitar on the opening 
All right. I, I have to say that surprised me again. Like, I, I really don't have a lot to say about this song. But what they really should have used as the last song, I feel, is Calling Captain Autumn. Because to me, that song is, is, is a totally fun Haircut 100 song that represents the band so well and captures their true spirit. It's such a fun song and it's got a little nonsense in there, a little silliness, but it's awesome. It's awesome. And that would have been a great song to end the album. But for some reason, they chose Surprise Me Again and just that kind of fell short. But thank goodness we had the expanded version where I could just switch right to calling Captain Autumn and it just I, I, I keep repeating that song over and over again once I listen yeah, to it. You've got those you got those sort of earth winning fire inflected horns on the opening on calling Captain Autumn. You've got more of that scratchy scratchy rhythm guitar. Um, again, Les Nemesis bass line. I will say though, the one thing that I love about that song is the ascending chord progression and melody line over the chorus as they're calling out calling captain autumn tremendously hooky and that one stuck with me for uh for a good while um after i took the needle off the record yeah that it, it represents the band so well and represents the early 80s the fun vibe of the early 80s so well so so you know what's great is they're they're still out there doing this steve haircut 100 are a little smaller down to the core lineup but they're out there playing, you know, and that's, I love that idea. That makes me happy that they are out there playing these songs and, and new people are getting to listen to them. Them, Squeeze, ABC, right? You have all these English bands that we love and they're doing all these shows in England. So like, I'm, I'm just watching those dates, seeing like when the first U.S. date is going to appear, you know, and then from there we'll, we'll yeah, jump I, on. So I, I think Squeeze are coming stateside uh, this fall, in fact. So we'll have to keep an eye out there and perhaps... Uh, there will be an all of, a live All About 80s music podcast uh, from some 80s package tour at some point before the uh, before the summer gets away from us. But, all right, that's all the time we have for this week. Sorry it's been so long. We won't keep you waiting again. I'm John. Like, subscribe, share, and leave your thoughts in the comments, and I promise we'll be back much sooner. And this is Steve saying for next time, keep it cool. Keep it awesome and keep it totally rad.